Yeah, so they they added it. So I, I just made like a quick joke and I was like, oh, you know, like I didn't even know they added in more. Like I was like, how many more letters are they going to have to add in to make everybody yeah. feel comfortable? Yeah. And she was like, oh, well, what do you mean by that? And I'm like, well, what does IAP stand for? And I had to look it up. There's a. <laughs> I, I was like, wait, what? So. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, I didn't realize they. L, I know it's LGBTQIAP uh, Q, Q now. Gee. All right. Oh, man. Wait. Yeah. LGBTQIA. And then A and I are actually for, uh, what is it? Asexual and allied. And then I is for also. Um, Intersex. Intersex, yeah. Ah. And then P is for pansexual. Oh. So I was like, well, what the hell is pansexual? And she's like, oh, actually, I'm pansexual. And I was like, what What does that mean then? <laughs> and we got into like a debate about it, how she was saying like, so do you think you can't be with somebody who's pansexual? And I'm like, well, no, not if we're in a straight monogamous relationship. Like, that's what I'm in. And she's like, oh, so you're not comfortable with, you know, gay, this and that. And I'm like, I don't know. No, I didn't say that at all. Like, I'm totally comfortable with all that stuff. Like, did you watch this season of uh, Black Mirror? No. If you get a chance, watch episode one. Okay. All I'm going to say is it made me cry. It made me cry hard. Really? And it's an interesting type of love story. <laughs> so once you, once you get that, you'll understand what I'm talking about. But um, especially actually coming from you as a you know, strong black male figure, you're going to see exactly what I'm talking about in that episode. Uh, are you telling me as a, as a strong black male figure, I'm going to cry? Is that what uh, no, no, not as that, but uh, <laughs> very, like, opinionated and everything as far as that goes. I think you're going to be like, oh, shit. And then to see what scene I'm talking about and be like, oh, wow, Raymond cried from this? Like, holy <laughs> shit. Like, <laughs> All right, so your your girlfriend, and how long have you and your girlfriend been together? We've been together coming up five years. All right, you've been together for five years, mm -hmm. and you're just now discovering that she's pansexual. So she told me a long time ago she was bi. <laughs> but the thing with even bi, it's just like, I don't know if I really believe it. No pun intended. I don't know if I buy it as far as, like, for women. I think it's more of a convenience thing sometimes mm -hmm. where they can be attracted to females at certain times, attracted to males at certain times. Mm -hmm. But for most men I've met, one of my roommates before was gay, and mm -hmm. I was 100% cool with that. I used to hang out with him and his boyfriend all the time. Right. But they were the first ones to start telling me, like, I don't know if guys could be really bisexual. And I'm like, isn't that kind of, like, you know, biased as far as, like, the gay community goes? But they're talking strictly from a monogamous standpoint. Like, uh. if you're going to be in a monogamous relationship with another straight person, you wouldn't want them to one day be like, oh, I'm actually attracted to women as well, too. Or I'm attracted to men as well, too. You're like, well, what does that mean for the future for us then? Like, at any time, can you wake up one day and just be like, oh, actually, sorry about that, Raymond. Now I'm attracted to females. So we got into this, like, this long debate about it. And it kind of caught me off guard. I was like, wait, what? And she got really defensive about it. And I'm like, I'm not trying to def like offend you at all because like these are just like beliefs and stuff. And I haven't really even thought about this. Right. But from this point right now, I thought you were just a you know straight female. Right. But now you're telling me like you could be into a trans female, a transgender male, 
like the pan category is like super broad. So it just to me, it sounded like you're just confused. All right, I had to look up the definition of pansexual because oh, I have no. I'm like, <laughs> so it, pan, a pan, pansexual is not limited in sexual choice with regard to biological sex, gender, or gender identity. So basically, uh, it, it's uh, a free for all. Yeah. I, 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 not put it, put it very loosely. I, it might to, be a very uh, loosely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, uh, so so, and for you, that is that. I can't imagine what that feels like. So it's not that it's like, it's not bad by any means. Right. It's just it caught me off guard. Is yeah. what it was. And do you think there's something that she is has just now discovered, or something that she's I think she's known, known about, about it the whole time, but now right. she's more comfortable wow. talking to me about it. And right. I don't think we ever brought it up before. Yeah. But I always knew that she like because she dated girls before too. Okay. And I'm totally cool with that. Okay. That is totally fine. Right, right. But as far as like once you start like settling down, when, and I you talked about this the other day, once you get past like that two, three year, we're coming up on five year mark. Right. You know, we're talking about future forward right there. So I guess it's more of like a security thing. Like, what does that mean moving forward? So right. Speak, like, yeah. is she, is she, will she want to marry you? Yeah, uh, exactly. And if you guys did get married, would she still want this open? Yeah. Uh, and it's never been like that before. And she put it to me very bluntly. She's like, I'm not going to like ever cheat on you or anything like that. I'm not looking for like an open relationship, but just my own personal beliefs. This is how I believe I am. And I, I just never knew that about her. So it was just kind of a weird debate to have just from me being like, you know, just like a throwaway yeah. joke to be like, oh, wow, the LGBTQIAP. Like, oh, my God, how many more letters are they going to throw on top of that? Like, just a regular joke, you know, nothing offensive or anything. But <laughs> yeah. it's like, damn, we got into like an hour-long debate about this. <laughs> and, and then yeah, when you did the right thing, you went for a walk. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I, like, I got to go walk the dogs, man. Because I could tell she was getting defensive. And on my yeah. end, too, I was, you know how like, you kind of dig your heels in the ground? And you're right. like, I'm not backing down from this. Yeah. That's yeah. dumb on my part. So yeah. I was just like, I need to go take a walk. I don't want to upset her or anything like that, too. So yeah. I, And that takes a lot of strength to, to like, because there's a part of you that, like, wants to win this argument. Mm -hmm. And there's a part that's like, uh, I want to be in the relationship more than I do want to win it. Like, yeah, I, it's exactly. like, I, I didn't mm -hmm. realize it was going to get to this. We both heated. Let's step away from it. Mm -hmm. And then we could have a conversation about like, it. Circle uh, back to it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 Because for sure, like she's had a lot of time to think about this. Mm -hmm. Right. And then for you, it's like, whoa, just like, out of the blue. I was yeah. like, Oh crap. And then once I realized she was getting defensive, like now that I'm removed from the conversation, I'm probably wrong in a sense that I should have bent a little bit to understand her more, but it was more me trying to say, like, no, these are my beliefs, and I'm digging my feet in the sand. Right, kind of right, so, right. She was probably mm -hmm. looking for, like, like support. It was, it was almost kind of her... And I kind of dropped the ball. Yeah. Like, yeah, big time. <laughs> big time. Because <laughs> she was kind of, uh, in a sense, coming out to you. Even though you knew that right. she was with other women, mm -hmm. she's like, you know, I... Um, but also, I would also wonder if uh, then the fear is that uh, she's attracted to other dudes as well. Yeah, you yeah, know what exactly. I'm saying? Because this opens up a huge mm -hmm. discussion of like, and I, you know, I'm from the school of like, just because you're with someone doesn't mean you all of a sudden lose the ability to be attracted to other people, right? And I think that's what I lost sight of for a second, uh, where it just it caught me off guard, and I lost sight of that. Yeah. 
And I think even she made a point of that to be like, you know, I'm not going to be attracted to other men now all of a sudden. Like, I'm not going to go out and, like, cheat on you or anything. Right, right. But just, like, that fear of, like, oh, this is unknown and uncertain to me. I was like, whoa, what is going on kind of thing. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, you know, I think... um, because part of it is we get caught up in the labels, right? Right. If, if somebody throws out a label, uh, pansexual or intersex or whatever, and it's and it's this is new vernacular for for mm-hmm. most of the the world, right? Right. Right. Um, and uh, and so we're, we're like, all right, what does that mean? What can I say? What can I say? You almost feel like you're walking on eggshells. Like, are you are, are my calling you a they or them mm-hmm. or us? Like. What's the language now? What which, right, which right. changes for us? And I'm super um, careful with that. Yeah, yeah. and uh-huh, so sure. now there's, uh, uh, you know, it's like you know, this woman you've been with for five years and you care about, and uh, you guys are talking about the future, mm-hmm. right? Uh, how did how did you and Laura meet? So we actually met at Equinox. Yeah, and that was man. I think we've known each other probably for six years now. Okay. Yeah, because I've been at the club for six years, and right she on. came actually in May. I've been at the club for six years. And then she came in in September. Yeah. So uh, for the listeners out there, and I'm sure everybody's like, "What's going on? Who is this guy?" Yeah, we kind of jumped right in. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, on today's podcast, I have my, my boy. How long have we known each other? Uh, Ooh, five probably, years. Six, probably about five six. years. Yeah. Um, we started. Work, we were working together at Equinox, uh, uh, one of the, the top gyms in the country, and. Uh, uh, hung out a couple times uh, and just always been a great guy from day one. And uh, me and him talking, he's a former military guy. Um, and he just, you know, you just have a crazy story. Uh, you, you've been through uh, some depressive episodes, uh, some uh, suicide attempts. And uh, and now you uh, are the, the, the guy that other military guys go to to uh to you know to clear their head and and uh and 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 get back to 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 normal right it's one of those crazy things like uh one of my favorite movies it's got a lot of like like crap probably from like critics and stuff because it didn't follow the comics too much yeah but a big takeaway from that was the movie Watchmen. if you go back and watch that it's like who watches the superheroes when they need help and everything because they're supposed to hold up this whole moniker like Superman doesn't make mistakes, Wonder Woman doesn't make mistakes, but the cool thing about Watchmen is that, nah, they're real people too and some of them don't even have like superpowers. Some of them are very reluctant to be in this role as a superhero. That is something that they kind of just fell into and in a lot of ways that's kind of how I feel where, you know, even as like a trainer too who people ask me like for advice and everything like that, and I knew you've talked about this before, like where you just kind of wake up and you have this constant anxiety of like, man, I hope people don't realize like I suck today or like, you know what I mean? I'm not as smart as I sound or I'm not as fit as I am. You know, just yeah. little things like that, this constant fear. And I think that kind of what is what also drives me forward as well, too, because that anxiety and that fear mm. is something that I'm very, very comfortable with. And I'm comfortable being in that space because that's kind of like how I grew up mostly, too. Uh, uh, what do you mean? That's how you grew up. So, did you ever see the movie Blood and Blood Out? I quote a lot of movies. I, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm similar. Like, I, like uh, I love movies. Uh, oh yeah. Well, now, who was in that? I forget who was. So in that. it was. Um, God, what was his name? So it's a story about three, uh, two brothers, and then one cousin, uh-huh. who were all born in East LA. Two of them are completely Mexican. One of them's half white, half Mexican, and that's kind of how I grew up because I grew up half white, half Mexican. My father was Hispanic, born and raised East L.A., 
and my mom is white. She's like Irish, Polish, mixed with some other like European stuff and everything. But growing up, I never learned Spanish or anything because my parents kind of thought like, ah, oh, he's not going to have to learn Spanish. Like he looks white, so he's probably <laughs> going to hang out with like white kids and stuff. But we grew up on the borderline of like Santa Ana over in Orange County, which is a very predominant Hispanic community. Mm. So with that, growing up in that like Hispanic community, I grew up around a lot of like cholos and different things like that. So I hung out with a lot of people like that. Mm -hmm. So I was very like involved with that gang and like kind of lifestyle like that for a short period of my life. So when I say like I grew up in fear like that, I was always the white kid amongst Mexican people. Mm -hmm. So I always had like this kind of chip on my shoulder. Like I had something to prove to people all the time too and kind of had to stand my ground and like never back away. Right. When in actuality, I was scared. I was scared all the time. I was always scared of getting beat up. I was scared of all the names I got called all the time. I was scared of not knowing the language of my people. Mm -hmm. And I was just always held to that like ridicule and everything. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of why, well, partly why I walked around with a lot of fear because of that. Yeah, you know, being an outsider, man, is mm. tough. And, and there's just so many ways to be an outsider, whether it's your skin color, whether it's the way you talk, the, oh, 100%. the way you carry yourself, your education, things like that. And we all are just trying to fit in, mm -hmm. you know, and, and uh, even if it, it costs us um, losing ourselves. I think that's, that's part of the reason why sometimes when I read about uh, people who have taken their lives and the people were like, they had everything. They they were a straight A student. They were a captain of a football team, and they were on the band and blah. And uh, what I read is they were just trying to fit in. Oh, 100%. they just they 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 just were like, if I'm a part of all this stuff and I excel, then everybody will accept me. Versus asking themselves, is this something I even want to be a part of? Like right, right. you didn't really want to be in a, a gang oh, with no, cholos, but you're just mm -hmm. like they're here. What am I gonna, you know? What else am I gonna be a part of? Yeah, I don't yeah. want to be the only kid, you know. Just I don't want to play by myself. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And then it's weird because like the idea of like what you think is cool and what's not cool as a kid too. So like I could have grown up and played like sports or did different things like that. Like mm -hmm. my dad tried to push me into doing wrestling and stuff. And I was like, oh, I don't want to wear like one of those singlets. Like, you know, that's not cool. But then when I think about like, especially being like in MMA now and everything, if I would have done that then, it would have saved me so much trouble now. But, you know, hindsight's always going to be twenty twenty. So instead of doing sports and athletics, I turned way more to drugs mm -hmm. and just chasing girls and stuff and mm. it got me into a lot of trouble at just a really early age but at the same time because of who my parents were I didn't want to get like bad grades or everything so that goes apart with that fear too that like I'm trying to play this weird tightrope back where I want to have this image to my friends but I also want to have this image to my parents and stuff too so that's I think where a lot of that like fear anxiety and a lot of that depression came from from like a really early age of like trying to balance two different selves it's way too right? much yeah, yeah you're wearing all these different masks and everything mm. and like people talk about that how you have to put on different caps every day and it's like well why should i do that i just want to be myself man right yeah right. do you could do you find that as because as a personal trainer and you mm. have different clients do you you find yourself putting on different uh masks for each client oh 100 percent. how so and that's just more of 
like people's attitudes and people's like job and like lifestyle and everything. Like I know some people need like, I'm not the type of person to blow smoke up anybody's ass. Mm -hmm. Like even with like martial arts, people that box with me and stuff, like if they suck, I will straight up tell them that they <laughs> suck and they'll get better at it because it takes a lot of repetition to get good with it because right. it's just not something that somebody could pick up. You know, it sounds like it's supposed to be intuitive to our nature. Like, oh, throwing punches, throwing kicks and everything, using our bones to hurt people. That's not really like a natural thing to do. And even me who knows how to fight, I don't really like fighting. Like, I don't like confrontation or anything like that. So when I meet people and I feel like this energy from them, and I hate using that word because it's like that L.A. vibe But it's true. Thing. But, but it's, yeah, a, it's true a true thing. thing. Like, right. I get this sense of, like, I could read people kind of right away. Like, mm -hmm. maybe in some past life, I was like some fucking, like, detective or something like that. Or a wolf. Or a wolf or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll get into that later, ladies yeah, yeah. and gentlemen. But um, <laughs> I feel just people need that different energy, and I try to meet them energy wise so like if somebody needs the extra push i'll push them mm -hmm. if they need me to take a step back and just kind of stay quiet and just guide them through a session i'm comfortable doing that too so yeah I, it's i find myself uh doing the same thing yeah. it's like you need more i give you more if you need less i give you less i i do and i'm sure you have this also i do have a window or a range of what my more is and what my less is oh, you yeah. know mm -hmm. like i like i i would never be that you know because we've seen trainers who push their clients way too far mm -hmm. you know, i'm doing crazy stuff and oh, i'm just 100%. not that guy i'm always yeah, thinking yeah. safety first um but you know i have had clients come in and be like hey you just want to go get breakfast and i'm like yeah let's go get breakfast yeah, yeah sometimes like, you just need to just, like yeah you want to breathe for an hour let's <laughs> yeah. do that like even when people tell me now because i fell into that category for a little bit where i'm supposed to be like the high intensity guy and like mm. the guy that's supposed to push you and everything mm. like i'm totally cool even how my body started breaking down and we could get into this later like everything from the end of last year where i got three concussions actually in a row a week apart one was because of a accident on my part just being drunk and out with friends uh the other one was actually getting into a altercation at usc and then the time after that i got into a bad car accident actually and that was literally all back to back and that's what kind of got me into this role where I kept trying to push my body past the limit that it was comfortable mm. because you, you always want to live like you're in your 20s, like you're always redlining the engine and everything. Right, and like right. that started affecting like sleep quality. It started affecting my mood. And once I was forced to kind of take a step back, that's when I was able to recharge my battery and be like, oh, man, maybe I just need to slow things down a little bit. Because once I didn't have a choice, it was hard at first, but it took that optional way to be like, oh, let's keep redlining the body because that's what's comfortable. Mm -hmm. I have this weird thing of like, I like suffering. And of course, put a pin in that. We get to that later too. But this weird kind of masochistic like suffering thing, it's not for everybody. It's a very, very weird thing that I enjoy doing. And once I started taking a step back and putting myself more in my client's shoes, we started having more of a connection and now, like, I literally enjoy going to, like, every single session. Like, it's fun just talking to people and just seeing how their day is going, especially seeing how, like, they're sleeping, how they're recovering, more so than, hey, how'd you feel after the last workout? It's more of, like, what's everything else going on besides the workout now? Right. So, you know, I, I mm -hmm. used to ask my clients, um, uh, you know, how'd you sleep last night? And now I ask them, uh, what was the last thing you did before you went to bed? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Because the I find that when I ask them how they sleep, 
they'll usually say, I slept okay, I slept fine. And that doesn't really give me an indicator of Is that of five their, hours, that yeah. seven hours? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I need to know, like, how, how, how long you slept. Like, mm-hmm. I do go into that. But also, I'm curious as to, like, w- to make them conscious yeah. of what they're doing that could be affecting their sleep. Because if you tell me that... Um, you know, you didn't sleep well, but you were on your laptop until you fell asleep or watching TV uh, until you fell asleep. Then, that, yeah, you're not going to sleep well right, because right. you didn't give your your brain a chance to kind of decompress and slow down uh, and take it in. So it's a way for me to get more data as to what they're, you know, if they got into an argument, or I got in an argument with my wife. Oh, oh, oh man, well, good yeah. luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> good luck shutting down after that, man. <laughs> Well, you know, and that's the thing is like you're lucky that you got into the 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 debate with your girl during the daytime. You yeah, know, you get yeah. into that at eleven o'clock. You don't want to be walking around the streets. At- oh no, not at all. <laughs> and it's funny and too, you're like, trapped, right? And that's funny too because like even how I approach arguments now too, like uh, with the misses and everything, is it's more not what points I can prove later and hammer home my points. It's more of what did I do wrong there and how do I make it better later? One for myself, but also for her too. But mm-hmm. you have to kind of find this weird balancing act and meet in the middle with it too. So, I mean, it's, it's like, uh, so wait, what's your uh, tr- uh, martial arts training background? Oh, Is it yeah. wrestling? Uh, so it started off wrestling first. Um, I was joining this one club at my junior college. Uh-huh. So before that, like high school and everything, like I ran track a little bit. I played a little bit of soccer. Um, my dad tried to get me into boxing as well, too. But, you know, being like Hispanic and like, you're like, man, I don't need to learn how to box. Like, I know how to fight. Like, I've punched people in the face and I've gotten hit. I know I could take a punch and different things like that. Right. So it's like this false sense of like security. A little segue off of that, like, especially like with road rage and stuff. And I know you've had your fair share of road rage oh, and just yeah. walking away from stuff. This is about two months ago. Like, I have cauliflower ear in one of my ears, and people ask me all the time, is that, like, almost like a rattlesnake with a rattle? Like, when mm. people see that, I'm like, mm. some people know what it is, some people don't. Right. But this guy cut me off, and I didn't even really notice it. I was so passive about it. Mm-hmm. And he ended up pulling in front of my car and, like, made me pull over. And he ran over to my door, and he told me to step out of the car. So I stepped out of the car and I asked him, like, is there a problem? Mm-hmm. And he started calling me crazy. He's like, what do you, you want to, like, fight me right here? And I'm like... You just cut me off and, like, forced me off the road. I was so confused. I was like, what are you talking about? And this guy's literally shaking, and he's, like, fat, and he's out of shape. And I'm just looking at him, like, what did you think was going to happen here? Like, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but, like, I do this stuff, like, majority of the week. You just lost your breath trying to go from your car over to me. And, like, where, where, how do you think this is going to go? Like, this false sense of, like, security and, like, this delusional thing. Like, what do you think? You're going to come up and hit me and knock me out with one punch? Like, this isn't a movie, man. Like, I'm sorry, dude. Right, <laughs> like, right, right. This right. is not going to happen. Um, so, anyways, with that, like, my dad tried to get me into all these sports and everything growing up. And he was the one to kind of push me to that. My mom mm-hmm. was more of, like, a free spirit. She's kind of just like, ah, oh, you know, like, do whatever kind of makes you happy. And. <laughs> little to her knowledge, making me happy was doing drugs and wow. running around and partying and stuff. But um, What kind of drugs were you doing? Oh, man, you want to jump right into this? Dude? <laughs> <laughs> we'll put a cap in that one, put a pin in that one. We'll get back to that one. But uh, just to finish off with the martial arts <laughs> oh, yeah, background, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> my main thing is when I got to the Army, uh, we had a program called Combatives, which was the Modern Army Combatives program. It started by this gentleman named Matt Larson, who had worked with uh, some members from the Gracie family 
who saw things from like UFC one and they took this element of jujitsu because before that it was kind of like, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong about this. It was more of like a Krav Magash type of self-defense where it's a little bit of punching, a little bit of kicking, a little bit of taking your opponent down and this and that. What UFC one proved, especially with Hoist, Hoist Gracie winning that tournament is he was not the most recognized, not the biggest, uh, Gracie and the family. The biggest Gracie was actually a gentleman named, uh, I don't know why I'm drawing a blank on his name, uh, Hickson. So Hickson was like the samurai of the family, but they knew if they put Hickson in there that he would dominate everybody and they'd be like, well, of course he won. The guy's a physical specimen. He's like 225 pounds. He's shredded. He's also just this good looking man. So he lives and breathes this part of like who should be a true champion. Whereas Hoist was like 165 pounds. Didn't look like he could pick anybody up, but he went in there and he choked everybody out in like the first round. So now they put the Gracie family on the map and especially things like the army, they're really good with evolving and getting with the times and stuff. So they took that element and they implemented that into the combatives program. So what it was, it was more of using your uniforms as like a gi. Uh. And that's how I got started with jiu-jitsu. So my little bit of background in wrestling that I did at this wrestling club at my junior college, and then being fortunate enough to train with a lot of country boys who are in the army, who are like state champion wrestlers and stuff, I got my butt beat a lot, like by a lot of these guys, but it was fun. It goes back to that thing that I like suffering because it, also a way of learning a lot about yourself Absolutely. it's this big like sink or swim mentality mm -hmm. so being able to do that for such a long time mm. uh, i started volunteering for smoker fights smoker fights were basically how like the old boxing days you would have like your gym and everything and they would literally smoke cigars and be like ah yeah my my fighter versus your fighter see i don't know why i gave them mobster voices <laughs> yeah. but you know <laughs> they would put these fighters against each other and what would happen sometimes at least in my case it would be like oh my guy Raymond right here he's got zero fights but he's a wrestler and he's a grappler and he'd be like oh my guy over here he's had some Muay Thai experience and then you find out right before you're about to fight the guy that he is like an eight fight veteran for Muay Thai where I've had zero fights and striking mm -hmm. so my coach would just tell me hey just take him down easier said than done I'm in there getting clipped up with elbows knees and I'm like what the hell is going on but it's the same thing where I like this suffering mentality so I'm learning as I go every time I do these smokers so I had right. three smokers in my early 20s I almost got knocked out twice in my first fights and then in my last fight it was actually the scariest one where my coach tells me hey just go out there and start punching the guy right away don't try to take him down or anything just grab him like you're in a hockey ring and just start swinging so to prepare for the fight I started watching a lot of hockey I know this sounds crazy, wow. but for a cage fight. And what I noticed in hockey is that they grab somebody and they start punching them right away. Right. And I think this guy had the same game plan because he came out <laughs> and grabbed me with his left hand. I grabbed him with my left hand and we started punching each other with their right hands. Later on in life, when I watched a lot of like Pride Fighting Championship, which was over in Japan, yeah. there is a mirror image of this fight with a guy named Don Fry and I forget the other gentleman's name, this Japanese guy, yeah. where they literally punched each other for like five minutes like that, just grabbing each other and hitting each other. I ended up winning first because my guy fell down <laughs> and he didn't get back up and it scared me. He was out for like five minutes. And I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. It literally like scared me to a point. This is coming from somebody who's covered in his own blood, covering his opponent's blood. You're supposed to be in there with like this big warrior spirit and everything. You're supposed to celebrate and do this and that. I was scared, man. I was like, holy shit. Like right. it just, it scared the crap out of me. And this was like something I realized so early on that, 
I didn't like the idea of hurting people to get involved in fighting. I like the idea of, this is going to sound fucked up, but me getting hurt to learn something and to get better as a fighter. Because I never had that chance when I was younger mm -hmm. to do anything with sports or athletics or anything like that. So it was kind of like this weird trial by fire thing. Right. Yeah, so, but, 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 you know, when you're in a ring with a guy and, and uh, sometimes your, your animal instincts kick in and yeah. that fight or flight kicks mm -hmm. in and all of a sudden... There's blood everywhere. And oh, 100%. Like, I, didn't, I didn't want to get to this. I just, mm -hmm. I was just trying to learn and grow as a, as a fighter. Exactly, yeah. Because <laughs> even with that, like going into like when I got out of the Army, I started doing more and more jiu-jitsu tournaments and everything. Uh, last year, I actually won what they call like a fake world's championship. Because yep. it's kind of one of those things. There's so many different world championships that go on. Like the top prestige one is the IBJJF, the International uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Federation. And then there's like other little ones like around locally and everything. And I won a local world tournament is what they call it. And I had just gotten my purple belt at the time. So like the rank in jiu-jitsu goes white, blue, purple, brown, black. Mm -hmm. So for me being a new purple belt and then winning this division, it was kind of like the last feather in my cap. I had done 100 matches in competition. And I found myself getting hurt more and more every time I went out there. And I just didn't have that same, like, that drive you were talking about when right. I went into tournaments. Yeah. There were so many times that I went into this, and I know you were an athlete, too. Like, if you ever went into, like, a game just telling yourself, like, I just don't feel like winning today. But I would still go do it anyway because of this whole suffering mentality and, like, almost like if I beat myself before I even went out there. And I never figured out what that exactly mm. was about because I can tell you, like, there were so many matches I knew I could have won. But before I went out there, I looked at the guy and I looked at my opponent and I was like, I don't deserve to win today. Like, I almost deserve to be sad and pissed off at myself today. So that's what I'm going to do. Is it, is it, do you think part of that was uh, you felt like you hadn't earned it, like you didn't train enough? Or if anything, like when, or, I always overtrained. And that was also like a scapegoat sometimes where it's like, oh, I'm too tired to even do this right now because I overdid everything in the gym. Or, or you, you even overtrained to the point where you get injured, so now you can't fight. You know, you go, oh, I, I pulled and this, that, I tore that. That's happened a lot lately, especially like trying to get back into MMA and everything. Um, and then some of them, like I just have the worst luck with accidents too, <laughs> to be honest with you. I've had to pull out of my last two fights because I got my nose broken in training. And then uh, I popped a rib out. I blew my knee out two separate times. And that was all just like freak accidents. Yeah. If anything, I'll go into it compromised. Right. Just to have that scapegoat also sometimes. Yeah. The um, yeah, it's kind of like a, a self sabotaging thing, exactly, right? That's exactly what it is. Yeah, um, do you feel like that? Is, why do you think that is? To be honest with you, it's just this weird thing. I think growing up, especially like with my parents and how they were, because I don't want to say like they were losers in any sense, but they never felt like winners to me, so I never really knew what like winning felt like. So once I started winning, especially like my early on fights that I had, uh, the competitions and everything, it was almost kind of scary to me to have this pressure of like, oh, now you're a winner. Now keep winning and keep doing good because I don't really know how to do that. Or at least my mentality was is I didn't know how to do that. And I didn't know how, it was a lot of pressure to be able to do that and like carry this like torch, so to speak. But it was, only, it was never, like, the pressure from my team or anything. Like, my coach, Scott, uh, who was my OG jiu-jitsu coach, 
was always really good on just telling me, like, you could win anytime you want to win. It's just that sometimes you just don't want to. And that's what it comes down to. And he's very, like, old school. He's very just, like, if you suck, he'll tell you you suck kind of thing. But it comes from a place of love unless he tells you he doesn't love you. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's interesting that, you you know, going back to your parents, you're like, uh, you know, they didn't feel like winners mm -hmm. to you. And uh, I... I kind of had a similar perspective of my mom, not not in the sense of she wasn't a winner, but I felt like uh, she could have done more with her life if she hadn't had us. Because I was thinking about oh, how much man. money she was spending on us. Mm -hmm. And uh, I carried that around forever. I remember when I was, I think I was like nine or 10 looking at yeah, her and just yeah. thinking that and just like, I'll never get a day job. And a few years ago, though, I called her and, and talked to her about it. And she said, her entire goal in life was just to raise kids. Oh, wow. You know, so in my eyes, I was projecting my ambition onto her of like, oh, man, she could be doing so much more. And in her eyes, she she had been doing what she'd been wanting to do her entire life. She was like, that's how her her mother raised her, and that's how right, her mother right. was raised. So just You just, as a woman, you, you had a family, and you took care of the family. Mm -hmm. And my mom took great pride in that, and she did a great job. And then it, it made me feel bad about how I was looking at my mom. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've had a similar discussion with your parents of, like, like what – like, did you guys do the things that you wanted to do or? So that's actually probably a big thing with it, too, that I know my dad lived in a lot of regret. He passed away. Actually, a week from today will be nine years. He wow. passed away in 2010. Mm. Uh, he was actually sick for my whole adult life. So my first early on memories of my dad from like maybe like four or five years old, he had actually uh, been in the hospital. My very first memory of him, I remember him getting a surgery and my mom, actually, right now, we're at a point, and I'm comfortable talking about this. Uh, we're actually not speaking right now. And mm -hmm. I've gone through periods of most of my adult life not talking to her. Uh, she's a pretty, I would say, functioning alcoholic to mm -hmm. a point where she doesn't know how abusive it is to herself, but also to uh, me and my brother. Um but I think that's where a lot of that comes from, that I actually don't know what my mother's ambitions were with her life. And I know for a fact my dad never got to live out any of his because he was basically paralyzed before he died. Why was he sick? What was going on? So something happened. Uh, he was a Vietnam veteran. Uh, they don't know if it was from Agent Orange, like different chemicals wow. and things like that, or if it was from a blood transfusion that he had gotten because we don't have really a history in my family of like tumors or anything like that but he had multiple tumors uh all benign wrapped around his spinal column wow. so when we were i think like my brother was maybe six we might have been younger i could be getting this wrong it might have been like three and five or like four and six like somewhere around there yeah. but uh he had a tumor wrapped around his spinal cord that they were saying was going to kill him within a couple months if they didn't try to remove it so that was like my early memories of like having to like deal with that in like this doctor's office and everything. But what had happened was is when they tried to do the surgery, it ended up getting botched. And they said he only had a couple more months to live after that, that they couldn't take out all the cells and all the, you know, everything that was wrapped around this tumor and everything. Because your spinal column is so complex and everything with all the nerves, every uh, endings and everything like that. Right, right, right. So when they removed it, um, he lost a lot of motor control. 
he started getting really sick as far as uh, he had diabetes also. So already because of your spinal calm, it affected like his nervous system and everything too. So he would lose feeling in his hands, his feet. Yeah. Uh, they were talking about amputating one of his foot, like all this stuff like that. And you're hearing all this at like such a young age. And your parents at that age are especially supposed to be like indestructible, going back to like superheroes and stuff. They wow. could do no wrong. They right. could be like, you know, Wonder Woman and Superman. Mm -hmm. But seeing him so vulnerable, that also attributes to a lot of this fear and anxiety that I carried around. That you could end up like your dad. Oh, 100%. I think about that. I have nightmares actually about that. Like to all of a sudden just be fine and then be like, hey, uh, go in for a checkup. By the way, you have, you know, stage four cancer or something like that. And it's like, wait, where did that come from? Like what catalyst did all of a sudden, was that my diet? Was that me? And this is this weird like self-reflection that I think he had to deal with for, unfortunately, like the last 20 years of his life. So as you think on a subconscious level, then you're trying to uh, get there before it gets you? Oh, 100%. Does that make sense? Early on, oh, man, early on, especially like that was my whole reason uh, to go into the military at first. I thought that was such like an honorable way to like to go, so gotcha. to speak, to be like, you know, it's like a selfless sacrifice thing. But in a sense, man, I joined up for so many selfish reasons to be like, this is how I want to go. Like if I could choose how to do it that was going to be the way to go, especially that's why I joined infantry of all things, because I wanted to go overseas as fast as possible. And I kind of messed up on it because going back to like not wanting to let your parents down and like getting good grades, even though I was a troublemaker, it was the same thing in the army. Like I didn't want to let anybody down. I didn't want to let my unit down or anything. So like nobody knew like my intentions and I could just go into it and same thing, kind of wear this mask and be Mr. Like gung-ho army guy, but at the same time have these like alter intentions and everything mm -hmm. too. And I think that's what put a lot of pressure on it as well. The, uh, now when you say troublemaker, what kind of trouble, <laughs> what kind of trouble did you kids get into? So. And this is as a, as a youth, right? As, now, oh man, as a youth. Because in the military, it's, it's, uh, it's. Ooh, man, the mil I'll get but, to the military but, yeah. as well. Too. Okay. <laughs> the military was bad, too. Uh, so I started off, I s obviously, smoking pot and stuff, so at like 11. Okay. So pretty young, actually. Wow. I'm a big advocate of cannabis now. I think it's a great recovery tool. I think it's good, like CBD and everything. Uh -huh. But the more and more I read about it, like your brain isn't even fully developed until like you're in your late 20s. To alter that in any way as it's developing... Like, that's a bad thing to do, man. I don't think that's supposed to be messed with, like, the wiring for that. Um, so I don't know if there has to be more research in that, if there's, like, limitations on how much you should use or anything, too. But um, I think that's just something that needs to be looked at a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, even prescription drugs, whether it's uh, Adderall or Prozac, I mean, mm -hmm. we're just drugging the hell out of these kids. We don't kids. know anything about long-term effects None. or anything. It's terrifying. Like man. we're gonna look back on this and be like, oh yeah, we pushed all these pills and like I'm all about like psychedelic. We get back to you can put a little note down for psychedelics too. Oh yeah, like, the microdosing. Oh man, that helped me a lot too. But um, yeah, it was with pot starting off, and then I think I might have been like twelve, because I think we're going into seventh grade. Um, Mike. I tried uh, methamphetamine for the first time. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> 
And then this is always like a shocker one to people because they're like, wait, you were like, that's like borderline like crack, right? And I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on. I did not smoke crack, right? I smoked meth. Don't get it twisted, man. I did not do crack. I am not dirty. But <laughs> but the meth, yeah, that was, uh, that was a big thing. Oh, my God. And uh, that was, I mean, that was a big thing up until, God, from 12 years old to 26. From 12 to 26. Yeah, 26, because I was two years out of the army once I got sober from that. Yeah. So when I, when I hear somebody say they they did meth from the age of 12 to 26, in my head, I'm thinking... How did you make it to 26? Like, were you, were Ooh, you doing meth like once a month? So or? early on when I was young, it was very like sporadic. It was mm. very like, oh, like we got something. And it, like when I was like really young, especially like before high school, yeah. it was just like anything to like get like fucked up or something as far as like, oh, we could even drink like a 40 or something. Like, oh, we, I found like a pack of warm beer. Like who cares? Just anything to get out of like the social anxieties of like high school, middle school mm. pressures of like girls or like, mm. Oh man, this bigger kid's going to beat me up. And I haven't even hit puberty yet. My voice is still cracking. Yeah. This dude's got a beard and he wants to fight me after school. It's like, Oh man, how do I handle all this? You know what? I'm just going to disassociate from reality for a little bit. Wow. So, yeah. Um, because wait, how tall are you? Uh, about five, nine on a good day. So five, nine <laughs> and you weigh what? Uh, right now, about a buck seventy. So okay, like one seventy. So five nine, one seventy for sure. So mm. as a seventh grader, I can't imagine how much smaller oh my you God, were. I was tiny. I mean, man. fragile even. Mm. <laughs> I don't think like my voice didn't even get deep for a while too. Like I had another buddy. Like we used to joke around about it. Like man, we need our balls to drop so we get like a little bass in our voice. It was funny too. Like actually, now I'm talking about the voice to keep us out of trouble. They put uh, me and a couple buddies into a choir and into band. So. <laughs> on the other end of the spectrum, I was like, I really like, I was really artistic too, which is kind of like ironic as well, because on the weekends when we we're getting fucked up, I was like, oh, I'm going to go practice my clarinet. And my buddies would be like, oh man, that's really cool. And then being in like choir and everything too, it was like, I learned how to sing at an early age. And then once my voice changed, that all went downhill. So, <laughs> so you went from <laughs> CBD to meth. Uh-huh. And then was there another... I feel like things happened in threes. Was, it, was there like LSD, acid? So uh, a little bit of LSD, a little bit of acid. Uh, I was big also into the rave scene at the time too, mm. like especially once we got to high school. Yeah, a bunch of... Uh, <laughs> oh my God, movies like uh, The Fast and the Furious came out and like this whole scene of like street racing and mm. like being on like the edge and like living your life a quarter mile at a time. And I was like, dude, I want to do that, man. I want to live my life a quarter mile at a time. So this is back when like, it wasn't like EDC how you have it now like let me log online yeah create an account with edc and i'll buy my tickets for next year which is great you know it's a cooler experience and everything you know what you're going into right but when we went to raves i'm like i'm not even exaggerating we were like eighth grade ninth grade and we were driving out to la to go to a spot to meet some shady dude to get directions mm. to go to another spot to get the real directions mm -hmm. to go to a warehouse rave that was somewhere like in k-town or something like yeah. that yeah yeah and that was actually one of my first times I tried uh, LSD. And now, when, <laughs> from 12 to 26 on meth, what were the uh, side effects? Of, there had to be... So I have, I have gone to therapy and everything, and uh, we could touch on this later too, but a lot of it, what it did, especially 
going into the army and then getting out of the army was a thing called meth psychosis, okay. which is almost like a disassociative disorder where you don't really like feel like a responsibility for your actions. You're like, you're kind of like a third person, like kind of just viewing yourself a lot of the times. But the weird thing is, is I've always kind of felt that way as far as just like, I'm just kind of a passenger on this sort of roller coaster, so to speak. And I think it's just easier for me to comprehend the things that I was doing to myself, uh, the experiences that I was having, just to be like, you know what? I'm going to let the brain go on autopilot. I'm just going to kind of watch what happens. That way I don't have to take ownership for all this stuff. The Now, at what point then did... Because uh, I want to come back to the therapy. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, let's, let's use this to go into the therapy. Because yeah. I want to touch on... Uh, you go into therapy, getting help, like at what age did that happen? And then also, uh, when did the uh, suicide attempts uh, yeah. take place? So I actually got a couple notes for this one. So when I got out of the military, um, it was actually when my father passed away. Okay. Uh, we were set to go to Afghanistan, actually. Uh -huh. And when we were getting ready to go to Afghanistan, uh, at the time, before the uh, Bush administration had left office and uh, Obama's administration had went in. Mm -hmm. the MTV even made like a movie about it. It was a shitty like movie called uh, Stop Loss. <laughs> and, the whole heard, thing, yeah. and the whole thing behind Stop Loss was that, and it ha unfortunately happened to a bunch of my buddies, where they were supposed to get out, but because what they call your release date, their ETS date was before they would go on to this next deployment, mm -hmm. they would be like, hey, you know when you were supposed to get out of your contract, actually Uncle Sam needs you to go back overseas and stay there as long as we need you, and then you could be done when you get out. Mm -hmm. So it was like a scary thing. Say if you went overseas and then all of a sudden you get back and they're like, oh, you know how they told you you were gonna get out? Well, unfortunately you gotta go back in. So to incentivize people to stay in is they were offering big contracts, like big bonuses. I think my bonus would have been 16 grand if I would have re-signed to go to Afghanistan. And uh, I'll try not to get emotional talking about this one, but uh, I talked to my father. This is like May of 2010? Yeah, May of 2010, uh, where I talked to him on the phone, and I was like, hey, Dad, I'm thinking about you know going back overseas, this and that. And he was actually one of the only ones that I really told like, hey, when I initially signed up, like, I wanted to, I wanted to die. Like, that was what I wanted to do. Like, if you think about, like, your life's purpose and everything, like, I had built it up in my head from, like, movies, TV shows, books I had read and everything. Like, this is, like, the way I want to go out. Like, I want to do it like this because this is, like, my, uh, my young guns moment. This is my blaze of glory right here. So if I can choose how my destiny ends with all this chaos that life is, like, that's fine with me. So telling my dad all that stuff and then seeing him in the position I was at at the time, I was like, yeah, what do you think? Should I go over there or not? And I remember my dad talking to me on the phone and he had, was getting kind of like more sick and everything. He was really bedridden at this point too. He was kind of more of like a shadow of the man that he used to be. I mean, he was almost kind of like down to the point where he was a skeleton, just mm. really thin, mm. uh, really didn't leave bed all day. If he would stand up, he would fall down. So him talking to me on the phone, his voice was kind of cracking too. He said, mijo, and he would, I knew he was serious when he would call me mijo. Mm. He said, I need you to come home. I need you to take care of me. And I didn't know what that meant at the time, but actually a month later, that's when he died. Mm. So he kind of, I think he knew, 
maybe that his time was coming, but that was one of the big wake-up calls for me because that was my, one, the identity of wanting to die overseas was me for so long, and then this identity of I'm supposed to come back and take care of my father, and I'm supposed to be like, and I had, it was like being a trainer at this time was kind of like a pipe dream. It was something that I wanted to do, and I always thought like, oh, you know, my father could be like my first client. Like, how cool would that be and everything? And then when he died, it was when my who am I was broken. And once your who am I is broken, it's a hard thing to come back from. I think it's one of the hardest things to find again where your identity and things that you build up in your own head is this like dramatic, uh, it just, it's hard to come back from. And I remember thinking that at the time, like, well, who am I now? If I'm not a soldier, if I'm not a son, if I'm not this person who's supposed to take care of his father, if I can't even be there when he needs me the most and he died alone, like, who am I now? And that was what kind of broke me down for a while because I had been sober for probably a year leading up to that. Because in the military, too, they tell you, like, oh, you're going to be on your best behavior and this and that. I probably experienced more drugs while I was in the military, too, <laughs> than when I was out. But when I got out of the military, that's when I went down the rabbit hole again. I went full back into full meth mode and everything, where I was selling it again. I was uh, living it out of, like, hotel rooms. I would disappear for, like, weeks at a time. Mm -hmm. Like, it was bad before the military, but it was worse after, especially after he died. Yeah, because it was it was a month right after, mm -hmm. right. So you, you're you're transitioning from the military, you're trans, and then transitioning in a home, and then home changes, and so, exactly, yeah. Uh, and and just that, and you probably have to feel isolated because a lot of your friends are probably still in the military. I'd imagine, like yeah, once yeah. you got out. So, who's your support group? Your mm -hmm. mom is a, a functioning alcoholic. And so at the time, too, I didn't even know she was. Oh, it was after wow. my father's death. That's when everything kind of came to fruition where my brother was like, yo, like talking to mom and stuff, like, because she had gotten fired from her job. Yeah. And now in hindsight, it was probably because of the alcohol. It was never because of like these stories that she told us and yeah. everything like that. But the thing with my mom is she's like a weird survivor with stuff. She must have had, like, something that she never told me. Because I know she was divorced and stuff, too, that mm. her ex-husband used to hit her. And I'd heard things about that. Like, my dad confronted the guy and, like, all this other stuff. But she had must have gone through some serious shit because the way she can deal with the world and navigate it. And I've talked to my mom about this identity thing of, like, your who am I being broken. Where she must have had her who am I broken so many times. I don't even think she knows who she really is anymore, to be honest with you. And and it's it's probably almost made her more adaptable, mm -hmm. more fluid because she it's almost like a that show Game of Thrones, yeah, where yeah. it's like uh, many faces or oh, the no face sure, yeah. person. It's like mm -hmm. who are you? And it's yeah, yeah. It's interesting because even in uh, uh, this book I was reading this morning, it was talking about uh, getting rid of your ego, yeah, and how who you are, even Will Smith said this in one of, and I think like in Hitch is like a, ro a romantic comedy. He was like, who you are is a fluid concept. Mm. And it's, it's our attachment to our identity that, uh, that causes suffering. Right? right. Because if you go, I'm a, I'm a, if I, if I walk around, like I'm a strong black male and then 
uh, you know, life doesn't give a damn about how you label yourself. It's going to remind you otherwise, right? right, right your knee's yeah. going to hurt. Your back. Uh, somebody's going to cut you off. Some kids are going to say something. Hey, you know, There's something. Yeah, right. something. you're going to find some way to get humble. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. There's going to be. There's going to be something. Some reminder of that. Uh, your your label isn't a hundred percent what you think it is. And so, how did so after your Who Am I was broken. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you, how did you rebuild yourself from there? Now, what, wait, so when did the first suicide attempt take place? So the first one, well, I, I like to call that the first one just being like in the military in general of just wanting to go oh, out like that. Got you. Yeah, yeah. That's you, like technically you, in the first In your head, time. Yeah, you just made up your mind like. Like this is the this way. Is, this like is the I almost way, felt like right. it was like destiny or something. Got like you. this was what was supposed to happen and everything. Um, the second one was the big one. Uh, and. It was actually kind of weird how it all happened because it was like 2011 because I got sober again in 2011 before I moved to L.A. It's like a lot of things at once, but um, at the time I was having like a weird falling out also with my girlfriend. I was cheating on her a Mm. lot too. And this is a girl who had stayed with me through the military, Mm. through deployment, everything like that. She was a good girl, but it's on me that I have to own up to. I messed up that relationship. And then to top it all off, I'm the one who broke up with her too. But that was after I got sober and I just realized like, I I can't be happy with you and I don't want you to be sad anymore by staying with somebody like me who I considered a piece of shit at the time. Mm. So I thought it was the best thing to do. But uh, initially when I moved out to uh, LA, when I got sober, it was to get away from my mom and everything because at the time too, she had stolen money from me. Uh, she had physically attacked me in the house. She had told my family that I had attacked her. Mm. And it was already one of those things. I had already kind of put myself in this corner to be like the guy who would do the things that she's saying. Because nobody knew how bad her drinking was. Only me me and my brother really knew. And I was the only one who lived with her for a while. Like my brother kind of had an idea. But when I saw it all firsthand, especially like on long long nights when I'd be up for a couple days or like I would come home from partying with my friends and stuff and like just seeing her pass out on the floor. She had fallen multiple times, hit her head. I'm talking like stitches. I'm talking ER visits. Uh, she had to get her stomach pumped a couple of times. It was just like kind of too much after seeing my dad go through that. Right. And seeing all those transitions and everything, I was drinking a lot too at the time. And I remember one night I was at my brother's house and talking about like projection and everything too. Me and my brother got into like a little debate about something, especially like alcohol and the meth and everything too. Like I was very like quick to pull the trigger. So I started like venting to him all the stuff that I hated about how my dad passed away and like how it was his fault and I blamed him for everything. And it was just this projection because I was so sad and so angry at myself that I jumped in my car, I broke their window before I left. I was bleeding inside my car and I was driving home drunk. And <laughs> I don't want to say to my defense because you shouldn't drink and drive, but I did live down the street at the time. So, like, the only person I probably would have hurt was myself. Mm-hmm. But it's not, definitely not an excuse. Not an excuse. Use Uber, kids. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I'm going home and I end up getting pulled over. Uh, a little segue too. I got a DUI while I was in the military too, mm. so I was like, I'm completely fucked at this point. Right, right. And right. I, this everything happened so fast in this situation, where I was like, Well, I'm gonna get another DUI. I'm gonna be completely fucked. 
I'm a drug addict. I'm a fucking loser. My dad's dead. I'm fucking sad every single day. I don't want to do this anymore. I am completely just fucking done with this. What if I got out of my car right now and just told these cops I have a gun? And this, I mean, this is happening fast. Mm -hmm. This is happening really, really fast. So I'm sitting there in my car and I'm just thinking, I could just get out right now and just pretend like I have something behind my back and they'll just shoot me and they'll kill me. Mm -hmm. And that'll be it. So I got out of my car. I got out really, really aggressively. And by this point, they're still like, hey, is everything okay? They're super calm at this point. And I'm yelling at them. I'm yelling, fuck you. And I'm telling them to pull the trigger, this and that. Mm -hmm. And they're like, what's behind your back, man? I'm like, come on, just talk to us. And I'm like, yeah, you want to see what's behind my back? And I'm pretending like I'm still going to reach for something. Mm -hmm. And now, finally, I see somebody draw a gun and they're pointing guns at mm -hmm. me at this point. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there and I'm yelling at them. And I'm telling them to pull the trigger, this and that. I'm telling them there's going to be a gunfight. And I'm getting, like, really crazy at this point. And then I hear somebody call my name. I hear Diaz. And the only people who ever call me Diaz are somebody from the military. So I'm, like, looking around. I'm like, what the fuck? Another sidetrack. When you're overseas in Iraq, like... You kind of have, like, some downtime on the bases and stuff, too. I had met these guys who were in the Air Force. I forget if they were, like, MPs or something, but I remember uh, they lived in Tustin, and this is where all this happened and everything, uh, Tustin, California. And I had met them, and we were talking about, like, oh, we should hang out when we get back and this and that. And one of them was like, oh, I kind of want to be a cop one day. Sure enough, that fucking same dude that I met in Iraq who I used to grapple with just in the gym and everything, and I'm talking like overseas and Fob Kelsu over in Iraq that we used to roll around the ground was the same cop that pulled me over that night, and he tells everybody to calm down. I know this guy. And when I see him walking towards me, it was like, I, I don't believe in God. I don't, I'm, I don't know if I'm atheist or what, but he starts walking towards me, and he's like got tears in his eyes, and it makes me start crying. And I put my hands up, and I'm like, I'm... I don't know what I'm doing. I'm sorry. Like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. And he comes up to me. He's like, come on, man. Give me a hug. Are you okay? And I walk up to him. I give him a hug. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing, man. Like, I'm, I'm losing control. I'm fucking falling apart here. And he's like, man, uh, how far do you live from here? I could take you home. And my buddy ended up showing up at the time, too. And he gave me his number. He was like, I need you to call me uh, when you get home. And my buddy Daniel actually had taken me home after that. And I just remember being in the car and I was telling Daniel, I'm like, hey man, did you see that? And I don't know if he did see it or he didn't see it, but he's like, just don't worry about any of that, man. Like, it's fine. You get to start over tomorrow. And I was like, oh shit. I do get to start over tomorrow. Like, I almost did something that you can't come back from. But just because I was at that step, that doesn't define who I am. That doesn't make me that person. And I think it took me a lot. It took me a while after that to even come to terms with it and everything. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the next day was when I started even just like having that pre-contemplation phase for like I think I need some help. I think I need like maybe therapy or I need to start talking to somebody. <laughs> it was probably a month after that when I moved to L.A. and that's when I really started pursuing like the whole therapy thing. But it was one day when I was in a hotel room by myself, and I must have been up for like maybe six days, and especially when you're up for that long. Up for six days? Yeah. From what? From meth. Wow. Like, to a point where, like, you start seeing things, like, weird, like, shadows and stuff, too, and everything. And I was like, man, this is fucking crazy. Like, I'm starting to see people and everything, too. And I was getting ready to finally pass out, because what happens is when you smoke for too long or you do, like, cocaine for too long, too, you have to drink to literally fall asleep. 
So once you get to a point where you have to drink to pass out, when you pass out, you fall into like a deep, deep sleep, like almost kind of like a scary type of sleep. And I remember being in this hotel room and I had a dream. And uh, this is what actually kind of led me to the therapy that I like doing, I enjoy doing, that I come back to every so often, is that I had this dream and I was in this, <laughs> it was kind of crazy, I was in this wrestling room on this wrestling mat. And there was this figure standing there and he was waiting for me. And I'm like looking down at my body and I have these wrestling shoes on and I'm wearing like the onesie and everything. And I'm like, this is weird, like what the hell? And I'd never worn one before. So I walk out to the mat and the person that turns around is my dad. And it's not my dad like as an old man, but it's my dad. I'm trying to get choked up saying this. <laughs> but it's my dad as a high schooler, like he's a young man again. And he's standing there and he's like super jacked and everything. Like he's like from stories I've heard of how he was when he was younger. And he's like telling me to, mo he's motioning for me to come to the mat. And I'm thinking like, oh, he's going to give me a hug, this and that. So I go walking up to him and he shoots a fireman's takedown on me right away, which is like this low takedown. You hoist somebody up and you throw them on their back right away. And I spin around and I'm looking at him like, dad, what are you doing? And he's like pushing me with his hands and like we're wrestling at this point and he's beating the shit out of me. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, this is a terrible dream. Like, I haven't seen you in years. This is what we're, this is what we're doing, man. So, <laughs> so we're wrestling and everything. And then finally he gets a pin on me. And he's like cranking my neck. He's twisting my arm as he's doing this. And he's looking me dead in the eyes. And this is actually the day after I got sober. As he looks me dead in the eyes and in the dream, I'll never forget it. He says, you embarrass me. You embarrass yourself. And I woke up from that dream. And I never touched the stuff since. It was just weird. I don't know if it was my subconscious. I don't know what it was, if it was a part of the like psychosis at the time, too. Uh, I started looking into hypnotherapy, which I started cognitive hypnotherapy, which I started gravitating more. As the more I started reading up on it, like when I would ever I would do psychedelics and different things, too, uh, float tanks and everything, I'm very open to going into a space, to almost let myself kind of hallucinate. I don't know if that has something to do with like the early stages of doing meth growing up and everything too, like the development of my brain or anything like that. But every time I do like 10 sessions of hypnotherapy, I come out of it almost like with this weird like reset on my brain. And the best times of my life were when I was able to hit that reset button and start over again, so to speak. And one of my mantras actually, I have it written down, that I always tell myself and I tell people, well, I tell some people because it's kind of... Personal. It's kind of personal, but yeah. it's also very, like, it's kind of fucked up in a way. I killed myself. You can kill yourself, too. But that doesn't have anything to do with dying. You know, it's... Here, all right, so I'm definitely going to ask you what that yeah. means for you. No, no problem, yeah. I, um... Because, you know, I, I also have the, the thoughts of uh, me wanting to kill myself. And I realize that um, it's, it's true, mm -hmm. um, but I, I don't want my life to end, right? So I, I think that's the, that's the power of really listening to the voice in your head Big of, time. like, there's a difference between wanting to kill yourself and wanting your life to end, right? There's a big difference. Because yeah. myself is like, I just want to I want to kill who I, when I say I want to kill myself, I realize I'm really saying 
the version of myself as I am now, yeah. right? Like I don't like who I am for whatever reasons mm-hmm. or the, the, my circumstances or whatever it is. I don't like this life, this reality. Um, but uh, but saying I want to take my life or end my life, like that's a that's a different. That's a big difference. That's yeah. there's a big difference, mm-hmm. and I think. Uh, People don't get those subtle nuances. Can you go into what that? Can you read that one more yeah. time, and then go into what that what that means for you? Kill yourself. I killed myself, but that has nothing to do with dying. What that means to me is that many times I've killed the part of me that I don't like. I've killed the part of me that holds me back. I've killed my ego. Um even with like MMA and practice and jujitsu, if you want to get humbled and you want to stay content with who you are, especially in a physical like realm, go do a martial arts class. You will be humbled so fast. This image that you have of yourself and who you think you are, you could be a complete beginner. You can be a seasoned veteran. There's always somebody out there Mm -hmm. that's better than you. So when I say kill yourself, it's that kill the parts of you that you don't like, that you feel like are almost like a limitation that are holding you back. And this isn't some of like that, you know, it's going to happen overnight, miraculous positivity. It's repetitions. It's constantly working at that. And that's why I've always gravitated, I think, towards martial arts or like these weird, like intense cardio workouts, like this thing that I'm doing right now uh, on the Versa Climber. I'm trying to get a vertical mile under 30 minutes. And I've been posting a lot about it on uh-huh. my Instagram. I've seen that, yeah. Because it's hard. It never gets easier every time I do it. <laughs> and then when you look at the world records of it for people, they're like at 24 minutes, 25 wow. minutes. And I don't know if it has something to do with like height and reach, which probably has a little bit to for do sure, with it. For sure. But I know in my own brain, I can push myself to beat that 30 minute mark, even though in this physical realm, I can't do it yet. But I know in my heart and my brain, I can beat that little thing. But it's that weird suffering that I really, really enjoy. So when I look at that whole mantra of like, yeah, you can kill yourself, but that has nothing to do with dying is I think that is a weird thing we can do as humans that we get to reset every single day that we're not defined by who we are Mm -hmm. through middle school, through high school. Like if going back to, you talked about this a little bit on Sunday, like some of your best friends don't even know who you are. Like some of my my buddies that I would literally bend over backwards for, I can't tell you what their favorite color is. I can't tell you what their favorite song is. I feel bad even admitting this. I don't even know the names of my one of my best friends' his kids. Dude, I just, it's just it's, it is it's terrible. Crazy, right? It, it breaks my heart to think <laughs> like that, but it's just like, you know, kill the parts of yourself that you try to hide from other people that you don't want the world to see because that's some like really deep dark stuff that probably shouldn't be there in the first place, in my right. opinion. You know, and you know, and, and even on a positive side, because mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, I, I do st- I do stand up, and um, there's a there's you almost have to kill the the last show that you had because sometimes you have two three shows in a night, and the first two went uh, amazing. And so now you want the third one, of course, the last one to be great, but you almost have to let those two go. Mm-hmm. And, and so you can be present for what's happening with this audience. Right, right. Because something more magical can take place. Yeah. I, I think um, 
we're sometimes we keep, we get so caught up in wanting things to be better. Mm-hmm. We don't realize how things could be um, uh, revolutionary or ever. Uh, or uh, like could be a game changer, you know. Yeah. It's like even with you chasing like the sub, uh, you know, thirty minute on that, you may at some point during the journey realize there's an even bigger goal to attain. Oh, hundred percent. And where yeah. you have to let that go. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, You're yeah. like, I, man, I, I I thought I was going after this, but I this is what I was really going yeah, after. Yeah. Um, so to 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 let go of your um, the, your idea of yourself and and what you're made of, so that you can show up to what's in you know it's like going back to you and your argument with Laura. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, you know, like you had it. You you had an idea of what the what your what your relationship was. Right, right. Right? And how she saw it and how you saw it and what, what direction you guys were going. And now you got this new information and the, the suffering is going to come from you trying to hold on to what you thought it was right, right. to what it is now and, and what it could be. You 100%. know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's a very powerful thing. I, I killed myself with that. It has nothing to do with dying, right? The uh, the hypnotherapy, you said 10 sessions. Mm-hmm. So do you go in 10-session increments or? So I, I think they do it in more or because the two people that I've gone to and uh, they told me to do like, you know, little check-ins here and there yeah. and everything. But as far as the two people that I've seen, maybe it's just like training, you buying packages or something Ooh, got too. Got you, got you. Well, at the end of the 10 sessions, I was like, hey, when do I come back? And they're like, I mean, how do you feel? And it was kind of like, that's what made me feel good about it is it wasn't like this, like, hey, now come and see me like your like your chiropractor, like, all right, every day for the rest <laughs> right, of your life, you're going right. to come in, I'm going to give you a quick adjustment, this and that. Because um, each session, I would even tell like the therapist and everything, like I would have these like really vivid like dreams and hallucinations while I was in there. And they were like, kind of looking at me like, whoa, this is like amazing. Like, let me write some notes down on this too, which was kind of cool seeing that. Yeah. But they were telling me that I was really susceptible to the therapy. And like I was saying, I don't know if that has anything to do with just how my brain developed and everything, too. But especially the last time around, I've made better changes. Like I said, it didn't happen overnight. But the last therapy session I did was probably in 2015. And I haven't gone back since. I've done little check-ins through like Skype and stuff. They have apps now like BetterHelp and everything, too, where you can make a profile, you can make little like phone calls and this and that. But just like how you get those repetitions for your body, man, you need those repetitions for your mind. You need those repetitions for your brain. What did, what, so what does uh, hypnotherapy look like? Was mm-hmm. it an like hour, 90 minutes? Like so it's ni- the ones that I did were all 90 minutes. Okay. It's an hour of regular talking, just kind of like how we're doing now. Just how's your week going? And then eventually getting a little bit into your past and everything. And then once you start the hypnotherapy, it's like they focus on like this weird. And the only way I can go back to this is kind of through like psychedelics. Like uh, I haven't done like ayahuasca or anything, but I've done um, the DMT experience where Mm -hmm. you smoke it too. Uh, I've done mushrooms a handful of times. I've done acid and what it does is it kind of gets into what they would call, like, I guess your mind's eye, like this kind of third eye thing. I still don't know if I really buy any of this stuff, but I mean, if it works, it works. But they tell you to imagine like this blue light going through the top of your head. And once you see that blue light, it kind of opens up like this 
pathway into your brain. And every time I went to this pathway into my brain, I always saw this library. And it was like this giant library, like Alexandria or something. And I would walk into this library, and I never remember what they're exactly saying as I went through the experience. But all I remember is taking books out of shelves and being like, oh, this book isn't in the right spot. Let me put this back over here. And sometimes it would be like I would have to go up and down a couple flights of stairs to take one book out of one place and put it back in the right spot. Wow. So in a weird way, it almost felt like I was rewiring my brain. And like I said, I never left there and felt immediately like, all right, now I feel good and everything. I'm right. talking like years later now. I'm starting to feel like what I did rep-wise then, I'm starting to feel that same thing now. Gotcha. As far as like if I have an argument like with Laura or something yeah. like that, I don't revert back to like, hey, let me like yell at you and slam a door and like stamp, like storm off or something like that. It's yeah. like, hey, let me pause this real quick. Let me try not to sound like an asshole. I'm really trying not to offend you. And like I'm more careful with like my selection of stuff too. Yeah. So, yeah. The, uh, and so you did hypnotherapy. Mm -hmm. uh, you do float tanks. It do you float still tanks. do float tanks? I love doing float tanks. How often um, do you go? Probably once every two months. I haven't gone in a while just because I've been really busy with work and mm -hmm, everything. Mm -hmm. But it's the same thing. You got to make the time for it. Right. Because once you're in there in that isolated environment, it's kind of ironic because when I'm in the float tank, I'm at peace. But if I go to sleep at night and I go lay down in my bed, the noise is so powerfully consuming mm -hmm. that I can't sleep that I have to sleep with like a podcast on mm -hmm. I have to sleep with something on in the background just this white noise to fall asleep but when I'm in the float tank and my mind starts to drift off and I go through these hallucinations because every time I'm in there like it's not going to happen for everybody I trip out in there every single time so I usually do about two hours at a time mm. and I'm able kind of just to let go of like this weird physical realm and go somewhere beyond like this consciousness realm that I don't know if like we all thrive in or something too, or like we grow in or something. But every time I come out of that, I just feel like I've taken off this like weight vest almost. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of get the same feeling. It's going to sound strange because mm -hmm. I've done the float tanks too. Yeah. Uh, I think because I, I meditate a lot, like mm -hmm. I, I don't feel a big difference between a float tank and meditation. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. But I do, but the float tank, I, I understand the, the whole relaxation. But just then, I got this from Joey Diaz. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just laying on my back with my legs up on a wall oh, in an L formation. Yeah. It, I feel, I did that actually right before uh, we started podcasting. And it, I feel such a release. Mm -hmm. Like I could feel my back just, like my whole body just like decompresses yeah, yeah. immediately. So, you know, for the listeners out there, you don't have to. Because float tanks aren't everywhere, and they are uh, expensive uh, or cost you say costly. Um, sometimes they could be like as cheap as forty dollars a session, but they could be up to like uh, ninety dollars a session right, or right. something like that, uh, where you're just floating on salt water. For people who've never done a float tank, uh, and they just they fill this tank with. Um, I think it's like a thousand pounds of a salt thousand, water. A thousand, right, of salt it's, water. And you're just buoyant the whole time. Yeah, and yeah. you're just, you're literally floating on water the entire time. Um, but so, besides the hypnotherapy, the float tanks, you mentioned apps. What apps are you using? So, there's this other one, and I'm a big fan of Free. All right. <laughs> so, there's this one that I use also called Head Sharp. Head Sharp? Yep. So on HeadSharp, it's kind of cool because what they can do, and I actually use this for visualization, 
Um, Not head space, head sharp. Yep, head sharp. Yep, because head space unfortunately costs money. <laughs> <laughs> right, got you. But uh, for example, like there's one on there I used to do called Game Day. So you click on like Game Day, for example, and there's like a bunch of ones, but it's just a guided meditation that it's going to take you through. So you'll open up. Let's see. Might take a second right here. But anyways, on like the game day one, for example, what it will do. Oh, here we go. It'll give you like a visualization, a checklist to run through or like a routine. So I'm uh, really big on the visualization. Yeah. So you could play with all these, but it'll give you like your sports to go through. What? So I would right, always so, do yeah. jujitsu one. Yeah. Click on jujitsu. So what it'll do is it'll pull up a video and then once you're ready, it'll tell you to, you know, sit down in a quiet place, headphones in, close Whoa. your eyes, start breathing, and it takes you through a guided meditation. It usually takes about five minutes. Every time I've listened to this one, I've won a gold medal. Can, can you go back? Can you go back through the yeah. screen? Uh, and so there's game day, there's post game, there's uh, no pressure, there's a confidence, a dominance, uh, weekly challenges. So yeah, that's that's really great. Daily routine. Those are great, man. So they have, yeah, like just different sharp. checklists. I'm going to put that all in the show notes. The, uh, oh, hell yeah. Head Sharp and uh, uh, Flow Tanks. Uh, did, and you said Better Health is an app also that you use? Yes. Uh, is better that? Help is. Or you Better could, Help. Yeah, yeah you gotcha. could find it on Instagram. Uh, I think Facebook. I'm not really big on Facebook anymore. Um, and then they have a website also. But what they do is say you just need like a regular check-in. Mm -hmm. And I used it actually uh, recently because I don't, I, I've never been told I have like depression or anything like that. I've been told anxiety. Uh, I've never taken like medication or anything like that. But if I were to say that I had depression, what I would say is like is it's like a pendulum. It's like a yo-yo. Is it's never constant. Mm. So, like, for example, yesterday, I had an incredible day yesterday. For whatever reason, today, I woke up, I got a good night of sleep. Um, I was just sad right away as the morning started and everything, going into my clients. And I feel bad for my clients sometimes, too, because I feel like they can see it. Like, mm -hmm. I have, like, this hole mm -hmm. that they can see. And right. I'm just like, I don't mean to apologize to them, but it's just always just... It's not my intention to bring that energy into a session like right, that, too. Right, right. But it's just this weird pendulum that kind of, I never know which way it exactly is going to swing. It could have something to do with maybe diet, exercise, excessive exercise, lack of sleep. Like those could all be like catalysts and different factors. And, and environmental different like factors, that. allergens, like uh, it's a lot going on. Mm -hmm. But it's just never like constant or anything like that. You know, in those situations, yeah. I've, I've recently. Um, I used to mask that going back to, you know, wearing a different mask. Yeah. Now, if a client asks me how I'm doing, I go, I feel a little off, but uh, working on it. And then they That's usually a, yeah, don't yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, go any deeper than that. Right, if right. they do, uh, if they do inquire, oh, what's going on? I'm like, ah, oh, you know, uh, maybe I didn't get enough sleep or maybe something I ate. You know, I keep it vague. Like, I, I'm not quite right, sure because right. I don't want to get too deep into you know, myself uh, and, and bring the attention back to them. But I find that it's a, it's a way of acknowledging mm -hmm. what they probably feel. Yeah, yeah. And then a way of letting you off the hook. Oh, So that sure, you don't yeah. feel like you have to be this 
it's just like, hey, I'm, I'm just a little off today. You don't have to be super and, right. And yeah. people get that. Mm-hmm. And people understand that. Oh, I've been off too. Or as opposed to coming in and being like, but today just sucks. It's like, well, like that's too much to be telling a client. Like yeah, they're, they're yeah. coming to you for, um, you know, to, to get their daily dose. And then you're like, oh, you know. Right, right. But, uh, but yeah, but there's definitely a way to communicate with them when you're not, at, you know, at your at your when you, you're not feeling at your peak you know but with that too uh for better help so what'll happen is say like for example like i used it uh probably like two weeks ago maybe i was driving to work and i had to pull over real quick and you do a little check-in and you call mm. and they connect you with a therapist or something mm. and it's literally like a 15-minute conversation and it's just kind of like to reassess and Honestly, like, take a deep breath and figure things out for a second. Take that second to be like, hey, this is what sadness is, and this is what I'm starting to feel like. How do I navigate these waters because I've been here before? And how do I go throughout my day and just do little repetitions just to get through the day? And not to look at it like, oh, man, how am I going to get through tomorrow? Because we've all had nights where it's like, Ah, all I need to do is get a good night of sleep tonight, and I'm going to be so good for tomorrow. And then you go to lay down, and you're not sleeping. Or it's like, all I got to do, all I got to do is eat good tonight, and I'll be fine. And then you have, you know, a bag of sweets at midnight, like a gremlin or something. It's just like this weird self sabotage or this anxiety of thinking that the future has so much power over us, and it can make us so helpless. Where it's just another day, we get to reset every single day. And, yeah. and the truth is you can do all the right things and still wake up feeling like crap. Yeah, and that's I ha- normal. I have a I have an app sleep cycle, and it, it uh, tells me the quality of my sleep. Yeah, yeah. And I got a, a, like an 80, uh, no, a 92% on my sleep, which I'm like, oh, man. I, but then I was like, why don't I feel like I got 92? Oh, yeah. Like I was like, like not that I, I was feeling lethargic, but I was like, for for having 92, I should be like, yeah, let's conquer the day. And oh, yeah. I was just like, oh, another day. It's another 92. thing. Like I use also like HRV, which is a heart rate vari- variability. Uh, yeah. And there's a couple ones you could use. I use one through Joel Jameson, uh, which is called Bioforce. Uh-huh. Uh, there's another free one. Is that one. an app? Yeah, that's an app Bioforce? Uh-huh. uh-huh. That one costs money, but that's because I did the certification through him. And then there's another one called Elite HRV. Uh-huh. And that one connects just with a regular heart rate monitor, especially like on Amazon. Uh, you could get them for like a polar one, like a cheap one for like maybe 40 bucks now. Right. And they connect Bluetooth just to your phone and everything. Mm-hmm. And it's nothing on your end. It's basically you wake up, you put it on first thing in the morning before you get out of bed or anything. So what I'll do is just leave it right by my bedside. I'll put the strap on real quick, hook up to it, tell you to take a couple deep breaths. And it'll tell you how recovered you are based off of the variability in your heart rate mm. and the rhythm. So it'll take into account like your resting heart rate, your max heart rate. If you do wear it during exercise, it'll log your workouts and everything too. But it's all about the recovery aspect of it. That makes it so efficient and important. But same thing, there will be days where it'll give you like a stoplight, like red, yellow, and green. Green is go. Mm. Yellow is like, ah, you're getting a little bit to the caution zone. And then once you're in red, it's really hard to get out of the red area. Mm. And I think most people are walking around in the red area that they're just under-recovered. Yeah. Now, it's true. I, uh, I, I was going through a, a period where I was hiking all the time. And now my body wants nothing to do with hiking. <laughs> like, it's like, 
But it, so I go through these periods where it's like either I'm hiking all the time or I'm in the gym all the time or I'm just like if I just get my 10,000 steps in, I'm happy and then do some mobility stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I, I've, I've, I've realized that I had these cycles where my body's just like, this is what we're going to be doing for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, and it's just like these little phases and cycles versus trying to force my body or being down on myself for like. Come on, man. We we hiked every day last week. We should be be able to hike further. Like like you're thinking you should always be able to get stronger, faster, right, right, blah, blah, blah every week. And sometimes your body just hits a wall with something, and it's just like, nope, we got to go this direction. And then, but I also recognize that hopefully every cycle, uh, I'm getting stronger at the hiking. I'm getting stronger. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. When you like, go as through, opposed yeah. to just this constant um, incline. Um, are you reading anything right now? That's actually one of the things I'm the worst at is, is I don't read. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I listen to podcasts all the time. Gotcha. And uh, going back to, I actually made a note of this too, like two of the things that really kind of like saved me uh-huh. as far as like being able to tell my story and do this and that is my nephew uh, who was just born. Right. How and, old is he? Oh, just born. Yeah, he's, uh, I think he's five months now. Right. Uh, I cried like a baby the first time I held him because uh, right. I'd never held a baby before. Wow. And that was only five months ago. And that, uh, man, that was a game changer. I probably don't want kids of my own or anything like that. Why is that? Uh, going back to the fear and just yeah. like, it's more of how I would look at the world differently, mm. seeing like how vulnerable like a kid is, mm. and then seeing how. I guess, triggered I can get with, like, people, situations. Like, oh, my God, if somebody ever bullied, Uh, like, my uh, nephew or something, I feel bad for that kid because we're going to have some words. It's going to happen one day. I apologize to my brother in advance, but I'm going to be that guy that's, like, the overprotective uncle and just, like, hey, man, you got too many sharp edges in your house, dude. Like, just little things like that. And it's just, like, maybe it's just my own insecurity of my own fear for the world still. Right. That I'm just – I don't want to do that to a little kid or anything, but – uh the other big one is comedy, man. I love laughing. Yeah. Like, just being able to listen to like, like guys like Joe Rogan, Joey Diaz, the handful of times I've seen you perform stand-up, man. There's something so therapeutic about being up there on stage and seeing people in their element where they're so vulnerable, but right. they're just taking control of the audience like that. And it's just it's an amazing thing to see. And I'm just now starting to listen to it more and more and seeing things that are like, super offensive that can still be turned funny or seeing things that are more PC that are still funny and like people meeting in the middle with it where we can all get along just from like laughing at stuff too, where it doesn't have to be like, I'm going to draw a line in the sand and be on one side of the fence or the other. Right. It's like, it's just funny. It's funny. So, you know, yeah. and, and that's the, that's the thing that, that keeps me hopeful, man. Two things keep me hopeful. One is uh stand up comedy uh, Well, three things. Uh, well, two things, live events, like comedy or sporting events, mm-hmm. because it, when, you, when you look into the, the sea of people, they're all from different backgrounds, different cultures, and we're all here enjoying the same thing. Right, right. You know, so it, it, all this divisiveness that the, the news is trying to spew out uh, about us, it, it can't be that true. Because why are we all laughing at the same thing? Exactly, and, yeah. And existing peacefully in 
under a roof when this is when we should kill each other. Right. Like, <laughs> doors are closed. The lights are down. Right, right. Go, you know. Exactly, um, exactly. But, but we're, we're, we're very polite in those situations. Uh, and then the other thing that uh, gives me hope, farmer's markets. It's like you go to a farmer's yeah. market, and it's just this beautiful, ex- constant exchange between people and people negotiating uh, you know, farmers taking time out to explain wh- what this fruit is, and this is only in season for this, and the best way to cook this is that, and and you hear uh, people meeting at the, you know, it's just it's very like community based. Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah. uh, you remember Sevy from the gym, right? Oh yeah, he always does like Instagram lives of him being at the farmers market. Oh. It's one of those things that makes me so jealous because like. <laughs> I hate to admit it, man, but I'll do like Prime now for groceries, yeah. and I live like a hundred feet from a Whole Foods. Uh, that I don't even walk in there and stuff too. But I mean, it's just a weird thing that I get that I'm starting to get over more and more. Where I even get nervous like talking to people at like a cash register stand, uh, like walking up and like I'll think about it in line the whole time I'm going up there. Like, oh man, I'm gonna have to talk to this guy. Uh, is it weird if I ask him like how his day's going or like how are you? And it's just, it's this weird anxiety that I carry around, but it's also why I love training too, because even like clients that I know, going back to what I was saying earlier, like are they gonna wake up one day and be like, oh man, Raymond sucks actually. <laughs> I I wake up that every single day of just thinking like, oh man, I hope they don't figure. That out. <laughs> Where when I meet people, like especially for the first time, like I feel so awkward, mm. but. I'm doing good for a reason, so I must be doing something right. Something I'm just right. like more honest about everything, and I'll tell people right off the bat if I can help them or I can't help them or if I need to refer out or if they need to just clean up a couple little things and then they're ready to go off on their own or if they need the maintenance plan and everything too. Right. But uh, it's that weird thing of suffering that I like doing. It challenges me every single day just to get out of bed and do that job that I love doing, even though it makes me so anxious to do it. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes just taking a shower is a lot, right? Right, yeah, <laughs> for real, man. Are you in in Laura? Uh, have you guys been a couples therapy? Uh, no, I've thrown it out there a couple times because we've gotten into some pretty bad arguments, uh, mostly on my end, mm. I would say, but you know, a little bit on her too. But I think we're just two people that we're hotheads right away, right? And me more so because of my background, I'll pull the trigger right away and I'll say a lot of hateful things, Mm. but never with the intention to hurt you, Mm. just to get it off my chest and then to get the last word and to walk away. Mm. Whereas hers is kind of more to be like, I need to prove a point by outsmarting you or Uh, outwitting you kind of thing. And then because of my own insecurity (laughs) with like, because she graduated from a great school and everything, yeah. too. I graduated from the school of hard knocks, and it's like, <laughs> I definitely feel dumb as it is. And I got this Ivy League person outsmarting me and out-talking me. It's like, you're backing me into a corner. <laughs> but um, I think couples therapy would be a great thing to do just because I think it would take down a lot of walls that we have towards each other and just with ourselves, yeah. Man, I, I tell you what, even... The communicate, you know, it's like jujitsu, MMA, personal training. It, it's it's about learning different skills and techniques and formulas and blueprints, right? Like if I if I give a client a push, I got to give them a pull, or you could do a, a two to one or whatever. Right, right. The, you know, the seven different ways to move your body. It's the same thing in verbal communication. Mm-hmm. You know, like there are certain strategies, and there's a way to say things without triggering the other person. There's a way to say yeah. things. 
and and sometimes I would say most of the time we're not even aware of the things we're saying that can trigger another person or even trigger ourselves into a certain pattern. And so I, I, I encourage any everybody in, in, in a relationship, especially if you came from dysfunctional backgrounds where you never got to witness healthy communication mm-hmm. and you never got to witness conflict resolution. That was the thing I took away from when I went to couples therapy um, was my therapist was like, oh, you've never seen conflict resolution. And I was like, I never thought about that. Oh, yeah, I don't even know what that is. So yeah. basically, <laughs> like, you've witnessed your friends, your your parents, like, you've seen them get pissed and angry. Oh, yeah, right? big time. And then you've seen them be completely cool. Mm-hmm. What you've never witnessed and what most of us don't witness is them talking themselves from pissed to cool. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, So, yeah. like... My, you know, like my mom, she'd be upset and then she would vent to get it out. That's how she dealt. That's how she right, got back right. to cool was, like you said, get it, if I get it all off my chest, then uh, that'll help me get back to cool. Yeah, but then yeah. what you end up doing is damaging the other person right. and you, thereby then therefore uh, damaging the relationship. So then what yeah, you're looking yeah. for are strategies for how do you get yourself back to zero mm. without having to also damage her and then damage the relationship. And then over time, it just gets worse and worse and worse because she's going to keep referencing, oh, last time you right, blah, blah, right. blah. And so now you're just building on this these levels of hate. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so even if uh, you both can't go, if just one of you goes, uh, to just to learn... Uh, not so much couples therapy, but conflict resolution, how to talk yeah. through. Um, uh, and I, I've, I've, I've mentioned it in, in brief pockets on different episodes of uh, communication. And uh, did you have you read that book? Never split the difference. I've heard of it. Never read it. Though. So audible. Got to <laughs> audible that book. OK. Um, actually, I'm going to send you a YouTube video, too, of uh of uh, his, he has a, a latest speech and he talks about he's a former FBI negotiator and his stuff transfers over into relationships big time yeah, yeah. and uh, so it'd be dope um, Raymond th- I always feel like there's somebody who's listening in um, who's like on a precipice of taking their life right what would you say to that person before you kill yourself what would you say man I don't want to say all the cliche things that I think people usually say, like, there's help out there, there's somebody who loves you. Uh, Having been somebody that was in that situation who wanted to do it themselves and almost kind of fantasized in a weird way about it, it's just whatever's holding you back, whatever you think can't be erased, that you can't make up for, that is going to make you do the unthinkable and do something that you can't come back from that's not the answer because you can always hit reset and that's one thing I tell my clients every single day is that if I could get out of bed and push myself to do workouts when my left knee barely works or because if I take a deep breath sometimes my rib still hurts or my chronic low back issues that it hurts to just move around sometimes and I can still get in there and mix it up with guys who would outclass me 90% of the time and I could still hang with them that 
I don't blow smoke up people's ass just to say like if I could do it anybody can do it but I truly do mean that because I am nothing special I'm the farthest thing from special but I just work at it and if you do need help and you do need to get out there and find something to help you there are solutions to do that that can keep you from going over the edge and I just have to like say it over and over again, just hit reset, take that pause and just reset the day. Yeah. And that's really all I have to say. Thank you, brother. It's powerful. Um, I'll, I'll put a a link in the show notes for uh, the better help app, which you can, um, uh, you can download on your phone and and then you have that 24 hour access to call them and talk to somebody. Um, also the head sharp app and, um, and, you know, like I said, this podcast is not a substitute for going to talk to a trained professional or calling the 1-800-SUICIDE, uh, S-U-I-C-I-D-E. Make that call. I've called it myself a couple times. So I'm confident in um, uh, referring it to people. Uh, a lot of people refer it and they never call it, so they don't know like what, what it's like. But uh, I, I felt uh, validated. I felt heard. I felt, um, uh, I just, I felt better. I felt better every time, and I felt like it was valuable. So please make that call. Call a therapist. Or just talk to someone. It isn't, like we said, it doesn't have to be a trainer. Talk, call and talk to a stranger. Talk to an enemy. Uh, at the very least, your enemy will get you fired up. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have people I call just to, just, to, just, to, just to get me fired up and be like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so make that call. Thank you guys for listening in. And remember, the biggest thanks is uh, uh, you still being here to listen but also uh, sharing the, uh, the, the episode with your friends or somebody that you think might also need it. Uh, and then you can find me. Where can they find you, Ray? What's your Instagram? So my Instagram handle is Parappa the Grappler. It's a play on uh, Parappa the Rapper. So if you look him up, I'm just the Grappler version, and that is just on Instagram, or Ray Diaz on Instagram. Um, and Not the actor. We'll 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 uh we'll link to that in the show notes also. Thank you for tuning in and we'll talk to you soon.